Hello and welcome to the Trek Convention Podcast, the podcast where we sort through the juiciest, most interesting bits of Star Trek news from the Trek Convention feed. We pick our favorites for a closer look and share it with you from the perspective of a super fan and a new fan. And in this episode of the Trek Convention Podcast, we'll discuss much ado about canon. We go back to Las Vegas for a very rare experience, and we discuss our favorite coffee-swilling captain, who's back. Kate Mulgrew has rejoined the franchise. All that and more in this episode of The Trek Convention. And here we are. I'm here, my name is Bill, and I will be your host for the next however many minutes it takes to do this. And I'm here with Jenna. How are you, Jenna? I'm good, Bill. How are you? Good. That's really all I had. So, see you next time. No, I'm all kidding. Right, goodbye. Yeah, that would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Hope you had a good week. I did. Did you? It was okay. It had its ups and its downs. But... uh we can, that, that's a whole different podcast. We're starting a whole different podcast on what's going on in Bill's life. Trek news. Trek news. So going through the, um, the, the, the Twitter Facebook feed this week, there is an interesting story about, and it comes from um, Inverse, about the, how Star, the Star Trek IV movie may very well connect canon from the TV series with the Abrams universe, which is now the the other movie canon. So the the story is, and, and I believe it's it stems from an <clears throat> from an article with uh, Jonathan Frakes, where he talks about like what's going on at Paramount. That there's apparently three different movies sort of churning. There's the direct um, sequel to uh, Star Trek Beyond, which is uh, directed by um, Gentleman by my S.J. Clarkson. So the Clarkson version would be a direct sequel to the Star Trek Beyond. The Quentin Tarantino version would be sort of a bit of an outlier, but he has his own idea for one, and fans have some strong strong feelings about that one way or the other. And the third one, the third one would be a complete reboot from Noah Hawley. He wants a new cast. He wants to sort of restart the story. That one would be a bit more of a of an unknown. According to Frakes, the Star Trek IV sequel by Clarkson is probably the, the front runner just because enough, enough work's been done on it and there's been the script's been kicking around for a while. Now the 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 point of the article was that there is some talk that the they could bring Helmsworth Helmsworth back and try to combine the two timelines and correct the canon so you'd have one you'd incorporate one timeline into the other uh i'm not sure exactly how they do that because i'm not a script writer but um from my point of view my take is that i i'm kind of okay with there being two timelines um it's two different stories to work with that we've got two different universes at least two different when you consider the mirror universe and we've been using that for for decades and um I would rather have two universes than some awkwardly written hybrid kind of storyline that whose only purpose is to sort of 
quote unquote fix the fact that we have two timelines. So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it or not, Jenna. I mean, I, I know you've, you, I know you've seen the movies, but I don't know if you're invested as far as like the overall canon is concerned. Um, no, I did go and watch those movies, but I never, I almost felt like they weren't canon um, because of the different time, so, time, time zones, timelines. And I don't know, it just never really clicked for me the way that they, the various series clicked um, and seemed to be part of the overall Star Trek mythos, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think a lot of fans feel that way where they're, they're like, this isn't my Star Trek. Um, I take it from the point of view of like, you know, I don't actually live in any of these universes technically. Uh, so th- it's an interesting story. It's uh, I mean, it's a little almost like fan fiction. It's like, well, what if, you know, Kirk never had a father and he did it and the whole thing went sideways. Um, that was what fan fiction was like a lot uh, after the show was over. And from an entertainment standpoint, I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm not all of <laughs> Trek fandom, but that's kind of been my opinion for a while. So that's what I think about it. And thank you to Jonathan Frakes for having an interview where, um, he discussed all the different timeline or the different um, projects that are going through. And apparently one of the things he had said that everyone sort of glommed onto, I saw in a number of articles that actually turned out to be the headline on a few was that if any of these directors aren't available to rack hit, he, he's, he's free and ready. So it was uh cross between discussing the franchise and, and resume writing. So not that he doesn't have an extensive resume when it comes to shooting Star Trek films, or directing them. Is it time for a sound effect? I think it is time for a sound effect. All right. Here we go. Series Spotlight. Series Spotlight. Series Spotlight. Spotlight. That's the differentiation between stories. So this next story I'm actually kind of excited about because um, it seems as though, according to the, the world, that Kate Mulgrew is coming back to the Star Trek franchise as Captain Janeway. She'll be yeah, I'm super excited for this. Really? Yeah. You're not just lying to me? To <laughs> No, I love Kate Mulgrew. And I love Captain Janeway. And I love the, the concept of the, um, of, of the new show, which you haven't gotten to talk about yet. So I'll let you talk about that before we go further. Okay. Uh, so the, 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 the Star Trek she'll be in is Star Trek Prodigy, which... Um, the, the little synopsis that it's a, it'll follow a group of rebellious teens who commandeer an old starship and head off into the universe for more adventures. The quote, which I, I have to repeat from, from Kate Mulgrew, which if you've seen her at the conventions or I went to one of her book signings, and it, this sounds so much like her because it is actually from her, but it's quintessentially her, her speech pattern where it says, I have invested every scintilla of my being in Captain Janeway, and I can't wait to endow her with nuance that I never did before in Star Trek Prodigy. How thrilling to be able to introduce these young minds, an idea that elevated the world for decades, to be at the helm again is going to be deeply gratifying in a new way for me. So that's very, uh, very, that's Kate Mulgrew, the thespian and the writer. Uh, But now you can tell me why you're excited about the the storyline. I already did that. Oh. I, 
I mean, it just sounds like a fun, it, you know, it's yeah. Nickelodeon and they, and they do young adult um, shows really well. I mean, one of my favorite shows in the world was Avatar Last Airbender. Okay. And that was, you know, that was an animation clearly um, written for kids, but it was so well-written and so funny and poignant in places that I could see them doing a really good job with Star Trek. Yeah. And from what, what I've seen, and I, I honestly, I haven't watched it yet, although I'm looking forward to reigniting my CBS All Access uh, subscription, is the Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, I see just article after article about bringing back Q and bringing back, you know, uh, uh, references to the series that people would know and some people wouldn't know. But again, it doesn't take you out of the storyline. And I think that's very, very, very cleverly written uh, program. I think we've exhausted the uh, Kate Mulgrew. Although, honestly, I could talk about Kate Mulgrew forever. I've had so many photo ops with her. When I, my, my first photo op at a convention was with Kate Mulgrew, just because she's just so engaging. Uh, and then it seemed like every time I went to a convention, eh, let's do a photo op with Kate Mulgrew again. Um, I have actually one with her and uh, William Shatner. And it's a little, you know, they, they were sitting opposite of each other and you stand between them and, and have your photo taken because Bill Shatner's getting to be older and he sits more often, which is understandable since some of those photo op opportunities go on for a very long time. Um, but it's a little awkward because they're, they're both on either side of me and staring at the camera and we don't... It's just, uh, but it's a great photo to have of two of the captains that, uh, that most um, admire, most admired of the, of the franchises. I think, um, there have been opportunities with all of the captains, but, uh, not often and not inexpensively. So I've never had a photo taken with, uh, with everyone before and probably never will given that, uh, I don't think Patrick Stewart is doing photo ops anymore. He's, uh, shied away from that in recent years. I think it's time for a sound effect. Trek news. Trek news. Trek news. Someone has posted about a half an hour, it's actually 28 minute long video of what looks like a tech rehearsal for the Star Trek um, experience that used to be at the Hyatt Hotel in Las Vegas. So um, it's the transporter effect and they're testing it. I don't know if anyone uh, who's listening has, has been on, on, on the, not a ride, but been through the experience. Um, but it's the tech rehearsal. It's the, you know, they're playing, you know, pre-recorded. you know, you can hear Jonathan Frakes discussing what's going on in the bridge and oh, they, the Klingons got a got off a couple lucky shots. And, you know, the cast members are kind of bouncing around the set practicing what they're going to do when there's actually uh, customers in the, and the, on the quote-unquote ride, I, I don't know, I guess it's an experience more than a ride. But um, it's really interesting. It kind of takes me back to when I went to that because um, it was pretty cool. Uh, even if you were a Star Trek fan, there was kind of two parts of it. There was sort of, a, I, I call it the lobby. It's not the lobby, but let's call it the lobby, where they had a, a number of props and little descriptions of, of everything. And it, they were written uh, in the Star Trek universe this you know this is a tricorder and this is what it does it's not this is a prop from the star trek show it was written within the within the the experience of, of being in starfleet and there were there was at least there was one i think constitution or galaxy class enterprise there was a voyager and i think they had a constitution class enterprise hanging from the ceiling over the the lobby entrance area which was kind of a museum where they discussed everything and if you ever wanted to know the difference between constitution class and an ambassador class starship 
it was in there. Everything was in there. And of course, they did have props and, and material, which was great. And then, then there was the experience, which uh, one of which, when it first opened, was the Klingon experience, which was you're taking a tour of a star base and the Klingons attack, and there's a whole whole thing where you escape in a, in a, in a pod, and they have a, um, a flight simulator that you get into, like an actual pilot flight simulator that bounces you up and down and takes you over the, the, the strip. Uh, and it was very fun. Uh, eventually, they ended the the Borg experience, which was another similar situation where you're in a theater being trained, and then suddenly the Borg are there, and and they're assimilating people, and it's uh, a similar kind of uh, experience. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, the video that they have is, of course, of the the first one because it was still in rehearsal at the time. But um, I always find it very entertaining. And um, and then and then there was Quarks, the bar Quarks, that uh, you could eat and. And, uh, and drink at. Yeah, I actually had dinner at Quarks and bought one of these giant. Um, well, do you know? Remember what they were called on the show? But there were these huge drinks that came out to you in a giant like ball, okay. and were enough alcohol to, you know, <laughs> knock out twelve people. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to cling on. I think is what the restaurant would probably say. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there was one called like a warp core breach or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, during the convention, uh, when it was at the Rio, which it has been more recently up until this year, the, uh, some of the, the restaurants, the, there's a, like an American bistro kind of place that I remember most would add drinks specific to the Star Trek universe where they'd have, you know, a blue drink was supposed to be, you know, Romulan ale and they'd have a few concoctions of their own that had all the very kind of cute names that included warp cores and aliens and things like that. But, um, yeah, I very much enjoyed the experience. I remember whenever I went there and it was only a couple of times that I, I went before they were closed because <laughs> I went one year and I'm like, you know, I hope they're still open. And I got there and they, they were not. So I got back on the little monorail and, uh, very dejected and depressed. But um, I do remember going there one year and going through, of course, they have a gift shop. And I tried to put on my Star Trek experience, oops, Star Trek experience um, polo, the blue with the Starfleet. And it is woefully <laughs> too small at this point between uh, the time of when I bought it and now and the extra 10 pounds from being stuck indoors. But, uh, yeah, they had everything. And I remember going in there once and just poking around and the woman behind the counter saying, if you're looking for pips, we don't have any of that or any, any of the, the communicators or anything like that because the convention was last week and they completely cleaned us out. So apparently post-convention, the place to go was this gift shop to buy all your Star Trek uniform paraphernalia as well as a few other things. I think I have a Klingon shirt that's like two sizes too big because it was one of the few things they had left, but. It was a great experience, hence the name. It was a fun experience. Yeah. Trek history. Trek history. Trek history. Trek history. So speaking of Star Trek, there was an article this week on Screen Rant about whatever happened to the Vulcan replacement for Spock. And for those of you who don't know, there was a point in uh, after the first series was canceled that... They considered, they, they started putting together another Star Trek. It was called Star Trek Phase Two. They had actually cast people, they had built sets, they designed uniforms. They were literally one day away from shooting 
this, uh, this new series, and uh, they pulled the plug. But at the time, they had cast a, a, a man whose name I don't know that I know how to pronounce, David Gautreaux, to be the Vulcan science officer. The story is that at the time, shortly after the series, Leonard Nimoy and, and uh, the producers were in, in court because uh, Leonard Nimoy wasn't getting uh, the royalties for his likeness from the, from the studio. So they were sort of battling their court case. And the concern was that they wouldn't be able to cast him in a TV series if they, if he didn't. He, he would be unlikely to come back to the series, both for the, the legal reasons as well as the fact that he um, had done Star Trek, which was grueling, and then went on to Mission Possible, which again is a very, television production is a very grueling timetable. And so they thought, well, in case we can't get him, let's cast somebody else, let's create another character. Um, and then when they pulled the plug, they just said this was, and again, this was certainly after Star Wars came out and everyone in the industry who had any kind of a science fiction script sitting in a desk somewhere said, hey, let's do that. We can make as much money as they did. So Paramount said, let's do that. And uh, at that point, they were still thinking of not having the, um, the Spock character, but they would replace him with someone else. But when they brought on uh, Robert Wise, who is known for The Day the Earth Stood Still and a, and a few other notable, notable films, he was not a fan of Star Trek. Not that he wasn't a fan fan, but he just didn't know anything about the, the franchise as, as much as, as, as he could have. But his wife, Millicent, was a huge fan, and she was really not happy that, uh, that they were going to get rid of Spock. That was a very favorite character, and the idea of not having it. So he, he went back to the studio and said, look, I'll direct this movie. you, you got to bring Leonard Nimoy back. Um, so thank you to Millicent for um, being the diehard fan that sort of insisted um, that they have the um, the original Vulcan that we all come to know and love, Spock, back on the show. And then, of course, then the conversation with Leonard Nimoy began, began, and, of course, I think they resolved all their legal issues and rolled it all into the contract with the uh, with the next, gen- uh, the, not next generation, with the, the motion picture. Well, that's the last item that I have on my giant list of things to talk about in this week's, or this, I keep saying this week. We're not a weekly. This is a, an episode. This is a podcast. That's all I have for this episode of the Trek Convention podcast. I did want to chat a little bit since we got on to Las Vegas about the next Star Trek convention, because of course that's that's the, um, the, the next thing on the calendar. And um, as everyone knows, or if you don't know, it's December 9th. It's at the new Caesars, uh, we're calling it the Caesars Convention Center, um, which apparently is a brand new facility. Caesars Forum Conventions, a uh, conference center. Wow, I got that name almost entirely incorrect. Personally, I'm still on the fence. I have my tickets for this year. I'm still not entirely sure if I'll go for the full length of time or if I'll just go for a day or so. But uh, apparently the new, according to the promotional material for the forum, it's a 550,000-square-foot facility with uh, 300,000-square-feet of uh, meeting space, which is quite large. And they're also boasting two of the largest pillarless, uh, pillarless ballrooms in the world. Um, and, of course, then they, being Caesars, they own a number of the hotels around, which are about 8,000 or almost 9,000 hotel rooms in the area. But uh, they have posted their uh, their safety protocols, 
of what this what Caesars will do and and their mask policy, which you uh, you will have to wear a mask, and they've reduced the number of um, self uh, they've eliminated self serve service like water. Uh, anybody who's been to the convention, there's always water bottles lined up, um, water coolers, I should say, and sometimes water bottles if they run out of cooler water. Um, but now they're going to be doing it uh, through a person will hand you something or serve you something. So uh, they are making changes, uh, which is interesting and, and good. Uh, we'll see. I, 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 they say they're putting seats like six feet apart. Anybody that's been to Vegas in the past, six feet apart is not usually the norm for uh, the Star Trek Las Vegas convention because they're kind of packed in. Not that that's a bad thing because it's, it's an event and it's fun and you're uh, I've learned to to know the people that have their annual tickets as I do that sit around me uh, and you get to know them and they get to be friendly and they're they're neighborly. Uh, there's a, a couple gals that usually sit near me that are from Canada. So they're very polite. Although if you say that Canadians are polite, they get a little upset about it and then become unpolite. But they um, it's it, it would be fun. I don't know if uh, how, how long I'll stay, but uh, hopefully, this is a, a one-time aberration, and um, we'll get back to the to the usual next year. So that's what I have for Star Trek Las Vegas, and I would recommend going through the um, the their site creationent.com uh, because they do have lists of like which which actors are scheduled to appear. Some are still pending, like Kate Mulgrew is still pending a confirmation, um, and there's a few that. Um, Either because of the schedules at the time, or, or maybe they're just discomfort with uh, with uh, being in such a large group of fans is uh, still an outstanding issue. So check back often. Well, that's what all I have this time for the Trek Convention podcast. Do you have anything to add to the to the big pot of news, Jenna? No, I'm just crossing my fingers that um, a safe uh, convention can happen this year. Yeah, uh, I think I've noticed that Creation's 50th anniversary is next year. So I, I, I hope that that's enough time to get back on track and that they uh, they have a tendency to do a, a really, when the Star Trek turned 50, they had a, a great convention. They expanded it from four days to five. They updated their, their schedules and things, and it was, a, it was a really great event, and I'm hoping that... Uh, between getting back to normal and them having an anniversary, the 2021 at the very least would be uh, would be a great event. But until then, join us next time for the next uh, exciting installment of the Trek Convention podcast. And we're glad to have you and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye. The Trek Convention Podcast is brought to you in part by .comsagogo. .comsagogo is your one-stop shop for domains, domain hosting, branded email, and more. No matter where you are in the galaxy, make sure everyone can find you with your own unique domain. .comsagogo. Connecting you to the universe and helping you. Go boldly. Go to trekconvention.com sponsor for rates and deals.